inappropriate way to, to deal with your mom. Hi, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Cool. Um, we're in our fourth week of the Kingdom of God series that we're doing here at the Vineyard while I put my gum on the corner here, like I always do. So we've been, uh, we've been plowing the last three weeks. Um, oh, before I get started, though, uh, me and Hannah and Ray, we were gone this week, and we just had a really great time. We wanted to, we wanted to thank you guys. We went to, uh, we went to Redding, California, and hung out at Bethel Church for a pastor's, uh, for a pastor's retreat, and we got to hang out with Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton and gang, and we just kind of got smacked for three days, and it was really terrific, and I highly recommend it to anyone. But, but here's the even better part of the news. Uh, we, you, you fly... 3,000 miles, and you pay some money, and <clears throat> you know you, you travel, and you get completely worn out, only to find that what's over on the West Coast is pretty much what you have here in Kentucky. <laughs> and, I'm, I, and I don't think that's an exaggeration, and I don't think I'm biased to the point that I, that I you know, can't see the truth. Um, pretty much, and I've, and I've been experiencing this for the last three years, pretty much any time I go to some place, some, some well of revival, some place where the Holy Spirit seems to be moving, I go and I partake, and it's always really good because it's just good to be with different people who love the Lord, but at the same time, I come away going, that's ah, just pretty much what's at home, you know? And so, so the good news is, you know, we're not, we're not that far off. The Lord is doing things right here with us, and um, that's good news for me, and it should be good news for you. And so, really, you know, if you're not encountering the Lord, you know, ain't my fault. <laughs> just want to put that out there. That was, that was, from, that was from my pastor heart. Which I'm learning, I actually kind of don't have one. So it's just really good news for you guys that Andrew Ward is a part of this church. Everybody know Andrew? <laughs> yeah, we call him St. Andrew for a reason. I'm the fist. Andrew's the velvet glove, you know. And I'm okay with that. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, like I was saying, this is our fourth and final week in the, on our series about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we've spent the last three weeks plowing through the scriptures. Really, more accurately, what we've been doing is we've been surveying the scriptures. You, all, you guys ever go out to like a pond or something, get a smooth rock and throw a stone across? You know how it skips across? That's pretty much what we've been doing. We've been, we've been skipping like stones across the scriptures. And one of the things that we've noticed with every, every week uh, where we've opened up the scriptures is that this, uh, this concept, this, this reality, this revelation of the kingdom of God, we realize that it's, it, that it's a thread that's masterfully woven through all of the scriptures. And, and one of the things that really, really gets to me as, as a person who, who tries to read the Bible and you know, study that thing or whatever, one of the things that, that really grabs me about this is that, that it, it's, a, it's a thread that's so perfectly woven that it's, it's beyond human invention or brilliance. It's a story too marvelous, too majestic for any one person or any group of people to conceive and construct. Uh, you know, really, the Bible is just, it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And, and just the revelation of the kingdom that's woven through stories and people who didn't choose God and people who did choose God. It's just, it's a mystery of the kingdom and it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I highly recommend that you guys read the Bible. I found that it's good. Uh, one of the things that we've noticed in, in skipping like stones across the scripture is we've noticed, or at least I hope, a couple things I want us to grab about the kingdom. And the first thing that I want us to understand about the kingdom of heaven is this, that the kingdom, the kingdom message is, is, is one uh, that's been all the way through the scriptures. And as, as such, the kingdom has always been God's plan. You know, maybe, maybe you just showed up here six months ago. Or maybe you've been here since, uh, since the vineyard started 13 years ago, and you think, wow, this, the, you guys talk a lot about the kingdom of heaven. This must be some new revelation. And what I want you to know is this. It's not a new revelation. It's something very old. The, Jesus, had, Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit, they had this plan from the very beginning. So kingdom of heaven, it's not a new revelation. It's a really old one. It's a foundational one. It's from the very beginning. It's always been God's intention. And the second thing that I want us to see is this, and I hope that we've been able to grab this over the last couple of weeks, is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is the very best thing for me. And, and, and a lot of times, a lot of times there'll, be, uh, there'll be this voice in our heads. Sometimes it's the flesh. Sometimes it's just, it's, it's just the spirit of darkness that speaks. And, and, and maybe, we, maybe we read the scripture and, and there's, some, there's some suggestion or some command 
uh, from the Lord about how we should live life. And we, you know, there's something in us that kind of stirs and bucks up. And we think, I don't know about that. But the thing I really want us all to see, and I hope we've been able to grab this over the last couple of weeks, is that the kingdom of heaven is best for you and me. When God rules and reigns, that's what's best. And not just because he's the one with all the power, but it's actually best for you. He has your best intentions in mind. So the kingdom of heaven has always been a primary revelation of God. And then number two, the kingdom is best for me. And so I just want to quickly, very quickly, um, uh, review here just for a second. For some of those of us who haven't been with us all four weeks, uh, we first saw that the kingdom of heaven was revealed in, uh, in the book of Exodus with Moses. Moses is out tending his father's sheep and he sees a burning bush. He goes up to the burning bush that isn't consumed and a voice speaks out from it. And the voice says, you know, I am. And Moses, I have, I have seen and I have heard. And now I'm coming down to do something about the oppression that my people are suffering. And so there's this revelation of God. It's not just that, that God re- reveals his name, the I am. It's that he reveals his nature. See, when we get a revelation of the kingdom, we get a real revelation of the nature of God. And God, this is the kind of person God is. He's the kind of person who sees, who hears, and who comes down. That's the kind of person that he is. How many of us are, you, know, you may not want to stick your hand up on this. In fact, don't. But how many of us in the room are oppressed and need help, you know? The good news is that God is the kind of person who sees, who hears, and who comes down. And that's, the, that's one of the primary revelations that we get in the, in the book of Exodus. And when, when God decides to come down, what happens is there's kingdom confrontation. And so the powers of the kingdoms, they collide with the powers of Pharaoh in Egypt. Rivers turn to blood. Blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Firstborn children die. Some are preserved. Children of Israel go through the sea on dry land. All of Pharaoh's armies are drowned in one cataclysmic moment. And God's people, they're preserved. And it's through this act of preservation and salvation that God's people first realize that he's king. He's not just some abstract, esoteric God who floats out in space somewhere on a cloud, but that he's king. And so the first revelation of the kingdom comes in Exodus 15, verse 18. And it's it's just very simple. They sing it in a song. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Why don't we just say that this morning, huh? Let's just get a little kingdom proclamation going this morning. Verse 18, 15, verse 18. Are we there? No, we're not. It's coming though. Technology, I love it. It will come. I'm prophesying that it will come. It will come on the screen. I believe it. Ah, are you ready? Here we go. Let's just a little kingdom proclamation in the house this morning. You ready? The Lord will reign forever and ever. Let's just say this again, okay? We're going to release this stuff. The Lord will reign forever and ever. It's the first revelation of the kingdom. Anytime we encounter the kingdom, we encounter the king. And again, it's best for everyone. On the second week, Pastor Ray, he came to us and he, and he um, brought us the kingdom message that was preserved for us in the, in the prophets. And specifically, we looked at the prophet Isaiah. Now, one of the things that's so important about the prophets, especially as it pertains to the kingdom message, is that it's the prophets who preserve a vision of the kingdom in difficult times. See, Isaiah and all of his contemporaries, for the most part, they prophesy in a time of decline when, when, when the people of Israel are about to be led into slavery and bondage again, or when they're actually in bondage to Babylon or otherwise. And so it's this prophetic voice, this prophetic vision, who keeps the hope and the, and the picture of the kingdom alive for people. And, and Ray, he brought, us, uh, he brought us a picture of that uh, from Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, one of the, we see two things that are really important for us um, in our study of the kingdom. We see the form of the kingdom, but we don't just see the form of the kingdom. We don't just see what it looks like. We see the bringer of the kingdom. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. This is where we see the form of the kingdom. I'll read it to you. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. See, there's freedom. It's, see, the kingdom of heaven comes. It comes with freedom. It's, it's part of the form. It's liberty from oppression. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. See, when the kingdom comes, part of the form of the kingdom is peace. So there's a release from oppression, there's freedom, and there's peace. But it's not just the form of the kingdom, 
It's the bringer of the kingdom. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here's what I want you to notice this morning. That the, that the effects of the kingdom, the peace, the freedom, the light, the calling, the destiny, the joy, the effects of the kingdom, they're tied to the bringer of the kingdom. Do you all see that in the scripture? They're, they're, they are because someone came. And, and so what I want us to realize from this is that it's impossible to, to separate the effects of the kingdom from the king. To speak about the effects of the kingdom is to speak about the king. To speak about the king is to speak about effects of the kingdom. They're one and the same. And so again, if I haven't already said it enough this morning, the kingdom of heaven is what's best for you. And then there's a revelation that's inside of that. If the kingdom of heaven is what's best for us, if it's impossible to distinguish, if it's impossible to divide the king from the effects of the kingdom, then there's only one thing for us to do this morning, and that's to make him king. Because the kingdom of God exists anywhere the rule and reign of God exists. It's not, it's not located in boundaries or borders. It supersedes all borders. And then last week we looked at, Je- uh, we looked at Jesus and his, his announcement of the kingdom in Luke chapter 4. And Luke chapter 4 is Jesus' inaugural address. You know, Barack Obama in, in, in January, he got up and he talked for over an hour and he, uh, he gave us you know, his inaugural speech. Well, Jesus did the same thing, only he did it in about six sentences. And in six sentences from the book of Isaiah, he outlines the highlights of his administration. And the, uh, the highlights of, of Jesus' administration look like this. Good news preached to the poor, freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the oppressed, and the year of the Lord's favor. And so anytime that Jesus would go and proclaim, he would also demonstrate. So anytime that Jesus would heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, or cleanse the lepers, kingdom of heaven has come. So there's this, there's this, there's this interplay between the proclamation of the kingdom and the good news of the kingdom realized. And, and one of the things that we, that we saw last week is that, is that Jesus comes to his hometown and he, and he gives them his inaugural address. And, and his own people, the people that he grew up with, uh, they reject him and they, and they decide, well, let's run him out of town and maybe throw him over a cliff. And, and, and so it, there's, a, there's a word to us even today again uh, in the scriptures. And that, that is that familiarity can keep us from encountering the power of the kingdom, and it can keep us, from, it, can, it can actually cause us to miss God's intention for us. You know, Jesus came, he gives, he, he proclaims, he proclaims a kingdom message, and, and Jesus never did just talking. He always did demonstrating with, it, with his message. And so he comes to his own people, and his intention was to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and cleanse the lepers at his hometown. But because of familiarity, they were able to put Jesus' agenda aside and miss their visitation. And we think, wow, that, you know, those people, those bad people in the scripture. You know? And the truth of the matter is, it's the same message for us this morning. We can be so familiar with what we think God has come to do that we miss him when he shows up. And that would be just a tragedy. So those are the last three weeks. But we've got a, we've got a new message on the kingdom this morning. So if you want to, if you'd like, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse this morning. We'll look at one verse, and we're going to look, talk about the implications of one verse in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. It's not my intention to do violence or to murder the scripture this morning, but we're, we're going to pluck one scripture right out of context this morning and hopefully work some context back into it. But that being said, you really should go ahead and read the first four chapters this week. I, I timed myself yesterday. It took me seven minutes to read four chapters, so... Like I've told you guys before, I'm a really slow reader and I'm not very smart, so you guys could probably read it in like three or four minutes. So you should do that this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Everybody there? Say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not found in words, it's found in power. Why don't we just pray and ask the Lord to come and break open revelation for us this morning. That'd be all right. I think we need it. Father, we really love you this morning. God, thanks for the opportunity to come and just be in your house. 
And now, God, as we look at your word, especially as we look at the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. God, we ask that you would come and that you would be with us. Father, we ask that you would deliver us from more information. God, we ask that you would deliver us from even more biblical information. Father, we just confess to you that we're overly potty trained and that we really need an encounter with you. Holy Spirit, would you come and unlock our hearts to receive your word this morning? Father, would you touch calluses and hard places and stony places and make them soft and able to receive your word? Amen. Amen. So this is what Paul writes. He writes that the kingdom of God is not about words. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. And so um, before we get into that, just for a second, I want to ask us a couple questions, especially in view of the last three weeks, in view of the fact that that, that God encounters Moses in the burning bush and gets a revelation of the kingdom and sees tremendous deliverance for a whole, I mean, we're talking about thousands of people walking through the Red Sea, okay? Moses encounters that and we get a revelation of the kingdom. In view of the fact that Moses is lawgiver and prophet and like this giant in Scripture. Everybody kind of got a hold of that? He's a giant in Scripture. And in view of the fact that, that, that Isaiah was a prophet and he... He prophesied to kings and he sees the vision and he preserves the, the picture of the kingdom. In view of the fact that, that Isaiah, more than anyone else, had a revelation of the Son of God, more than any Old Testament prophet in, the old, in all of Scripture, Isaiah had a revelation of the Son of God. His birth, his ministry, and his, and his death and resurrection, Isaiah had a vision of. In view of that, in view of the fact that Jesus shows up, you know, Son of God, Savior of the world, Healer, deliverer, bloodshed for you and me. In view of that, I just want to ask you guys some questions this morning. I want to ask you a really simple question. What about us? You know, and, and, and what about now? And um, what does it mean to us? Is, is all of this just another Bible study? Is it just more information? Or is there an encounter here for us? See, my fear is that we've spent four weeks and all we're going to get is more Bible information. <clears throat> you'd be only slightly better off studying the Bible than calculus if all we get is more Bible information. So what about us? The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. I want to talk to you just for a second at least about what I believe is at stake in all of this, especially for us as a church. Uh, especially for those of us who kind of identify ourselves as, you know, vineyardites. Um, I want to talk to you guys just for a second out of my heart about what I feel like is at stake. Um, what I feel like is at stake for our community and our town is this. I, I just feel like uh, more and more every day, the more I live here in town, the more, I, the more people I meet, the more family interaction I have at school and with sports and stuff, I, I've become more and more convinced that Campbellsville is an unreached people group. And you go, wow, that's kind of a bold statement. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it these days. Uh, Campbellsville, for the most part, is an unreached people group, not unlike any African country that you might feel like you're called to. You say, well, Adam, how do you come to that conclusion? I come to that conclusion like this. And many of you in the room have probably had similar experiences. You go up to someone. We could go into any store at any place in Campbellsville. We could sit down in any restaurant. We could go to almost anyone's house. And we could look at them right in the eye and we could say, hey, do you know Jesus? Or are you a Christian? We could, we could talk in any sorts of these sentences. We could try to investigate their spirituality. We could, we could, we could ask them, you know, have you, you know, have you been baptized? Are you a believer? And what would everyone say? Everyone's going to say yes in Campbellsville. But what's the reality? You know, here's the deal. I've met too many people who got baptized on Sunday morning but beat the crap out of their wife Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in this town. And so one of, the things I've, one of the things I've realized is, is that there's a, whole lot of, there's a whole lot of right answers and there's very little fruit here in our own town. Even in our own, in our own, in our own county, there's 25,000 people and I would be willing to bet a $100 bill to anyone in the room. That's right, the pastor would be willing to gamble on this one. I would be willing to bet a $100 bill to anyone in the room that no more than 7,000 people showed up to church this morning in a county of 25,000 people. Now, how many people of the 7,000 are devoted followers of Jesus out of the seven or 8,000? Let's just be generous. You know, I wouldn't be willing to put a number on that, but I guarantee you it's less than the number who showed up to church this morning. And so the reality is this. Campbellsville is an unreached people group. 
Uh, one of the, this is kind of the picture the Lord gave me years ago about it. Is He says, Adam, they've been inoculated. They've been given just enough of the gospel to become immune to it. You know, you know when, you, uh, you know when you, uh, you're a kid and you go in and get shots and they give you just enough of the flu so that you don't get the flu, you know? You get just enough of the gospel to become resistant to it. And that's one of the things that's happened. And the reason that I believe more than any other thing is this, is because we've traded in the church, we've traded talk for power. And it can't happen anymore. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign, it's not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. It's not a matter of just what you say, but it's a matter of demonstration. It's a matter of proof. I like to use that word proof. It's a very unpopular word in the church, but it's a great, it's, it's, a, it's a truth. Proof. Where's the proof? It's that old, it's that old uh, Wendy's commercial from back in the 80s. Where's the beef? You know the grandma? Where's the, where's the proof? So I've become convinced that Campbellsville, for the most part, is an unreached people group desperately needing the inbreaking of God's rule and reign. You know what, you know what Campbellsville doesn't need? Campbellsville doesn't need more messages about Jesus. What Campbellsville needs is more demonstrations that Jesus is king. That's really what Campbellsville needs. Because the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. And see, here's the deal. We live in a culture that loves talk, you know, uh, it, there are, there are self-help books. There are shelves of self-help books at every bookstore. And, and pretty much the conclusion that all the books come to is if you'll just talk it out, it'll get better. And, you know, I've been married and talking helps sometimes and sometimes talking only makes it worse. <laughs> In fact, I mean, uh, I remember one time uh, Heather and I were married, uh, first married and uh, the more we talked, the more angry we, she got at me. And we didn't have a lot of money back then and we had just bought like some furniture for a house and we had one of those really cool touch lamps, you know. But I just thought it was awesome. You I mean, 10 years ago, it was awesome, you know? It's not very cool anymore, but 10 years ago, it was pretty awesome. You touch it, and it keeps getting brighter. And the more we talked, the angrier everyone got. And you know, you know, you guys know my wife. She's not a violent person, but she takes the lamp, and she launches it at me. <laughs> you know, I just want to tell you, sometimes talk's not the issue. It's not the answer. Sometimes talk only makes it worse. I mean, we live in a culture where Tyra Banks has her own talk show. If any of you guys have ever seen it, it's insufferable. <laughs> and you think, how is this happening? Well, it's because we value talk. We value entertainment. We value the exchange of ideas. We value, you know, we just can't handle dead space. Dead air is very uncomfortable, you know. We value talk. Well, let's just uh, let's talk about what we mean here. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And we need to talk just for a second about what we mean by power. Because I realize that to, to some people in here, the notion of power causes us to bristle a little bit, you know? I mean, uh, for, for some of us in the room, we've, uh, we've kind of got this 21st century egalitarian mindset that, that is suspicious toward power. Because, you know, we've all heard that, you know, absolute power, what? Corrupts absolutely. And, and there's, there's an element to which that's true. Um, but we're not talking about that kind of power this morning. Just want to let you guys know. We're not talking about that kind of power. And then there's some others of us in the room who are maybe a little less philosophical than that, and, uh, and, and some, of these, uh, some others of us in the room who are maybe a little less philosophical and a little less worried about absolute power corrupting absolutely. Some others of us may have this, uh, what I call kind of like the, the, the poor me or the poor sinner syndrome. And so we're uncomfortable with power because we're positive that God wouldn't want to do anything with me. You know, I'm a miserable sinner, you know. I'm, you know, I, oh, I'm just a miserable sinner saved by grace. Praise the Lord. You know, you guys have heard this. Oh, man, I ain't, I'm just, no, Ray and I hear this all the time. I'm just, how are you doing? Oh, just surviving. Are you kidding me? Surviving? Are you joking me? So some of us maybe in the room maybe have this sort of mindset. You know, God couldn't ex potentially use me because I'm too beat up, I'm too unworthy, I'm too shy, too timid, too sinful, too needy, too small to be powerfully used by God. Then other us, the others of us, are. there might be a few in the room who are presumably excited about being used with power because it comes with notoriety, you know. There's something about power that's a little sexy even in the church. Everybody wants to be famous, right? So I want to tell us this morning, those three things, that's not what we're talking about. 
I want to tell you what we are talking about. We are talking about the power to Matthew, it's Matthew 10, verse 8. The power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. We are talking about Matthew chapter 25, which is food for the hungry, water for the thirsty, invitations for strangers, clothing for the naked, care for the sick, and visits for those in prison. What I am talking about this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about, we're talking about the power to love unlovely. We're talking about the power to cleanse leprosy. We're talking about the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, visit people who are stuck in prison, clothe the naked. We're talking about power to end all arguments with the wisdom of God, power to cast down every vain imagination that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. I'm not talking about control or manipulation. I'm talking about this stuff. Everybody on board? That's what I'm talking about. So the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. And this is written by the Apostle Paul. And I want to I share with you guys just a little bit about Paul's own journey and what would cause him to conclude this. You can write this down. You don't have to turn there. But um, sometime this week, you ought to study this out. If you go to Acts chapter 17, this is where Paul is in the middle of one of his, uh, one of, in the middle of one of his uh, journeys. And it's Acts chapter 17, verse 16. And this is what Paul says. He says, while he was waiting for them, and the them is Timothy and some other dudes, in Athens, he was greatly distressed that, to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul's on this trip. He's left some of his buddies behind. He, he shows up in Athens, and when he shows up, Paul, he gets completely disturbed because the city is just, it's just covered in idols. Not only that, but Athens was the center of thought at that time. It was, it was the Cambridge, Massachusetts of the ancient world. It was the Harvard, the MIT of the ancient world. So all philosophy, all learning, uh, uh, even, 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 the, even the heights of culture, even, even in athletics was in Athens. That's where the, you know, the ancient Olympic Games were. And so Paul's on this journey, and he sees that the city is full of idols. It disturbs him, and he begins to give testimony to Jesus. So he begins to go to the, to the synagogues, and he begins to preach. When he goes and begins to preach, he gets invited by the philosophers and the Stoics who were living in Athens to come and talk with them, to have a debate. They say, we want to hear these new ideas. Y'all hearing this? We want to hear these new ideas. This is all about talk, okay? Paul goes and he, he preaches the gospel. And here's the thing about God, Paul's message in Acts chapter 7. I mean, Acts chapter 17, yes. Here's the thing about Paul's message in Acts chapter 17. Most biblical scholars consider it to be the most brilliant sermon that Paul ever preaches. In fact, if you want to, you can go on Amazon today and you can buy entire books written by scholars based upon the sermon in Acts chapter 17. I mean, entire books, you can find them. There, there's, there are whole manuals for how to preach based upon the Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17. And it is brilliant. I'm not going to lie, it is brilliant. Paul, he gives clear and, and beautiful testimony to the fact that Jesus came in the flesh and was born of the, was born of the Spirit. And, and here's the other thing. Not only that, but even during Paul's sermon, he even begins to quote their own, their own, uh, their own poets. You know, Paul takes their culture and inserts it. So he's just like honoring the culture. He's done everything he can do to bridge the gap. And then this is what ends up happening. If you look at verse 34 in Acts chapter 17, you don't have to turn there. But um, the, verse 34 has the results. And the results uh, are, are this. The Bible says that a few became converts. A few. In fact, only two get named. So Paul preaches his best sermon of his entire life. The one that every biblical scholar says is the best and the results are a few. You know, here's the sad thing. Today, if, if we got results of a few, we'd all be happy. You know? Most of us are satisfied with a few. Paul preaches his very best sermon, and the results are a few. Two people. Probably a handful of others, but two people. Then... The next chapter is Acts chapter 18. Paul travels, travels to Corinth. And in Corinth, Paul has all-out revival. There's all-out revival. In Athens, best sermon ever, a few. 
In Corinth and in Ephesus, the next couple places that Paul travels, it's all out revival. In fact, in Ephesus, it says that Paul did extraordinary miracles there. And it's all out revival in Corinth as well. Because um, in Corinth, this is amazing. Oh, the synagogue ruler and his whole household become believers. Let me tell you, that just doesn't happen, okay? Unless the power of the Holy Spirit is, is on you. And so it begs the question, what's the difference? What's the difference between Athens and Corinth? Well, the difference between Athens and Corinth is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through 5. This is what Paul says to those believers. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence, or superior wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Y'all catching this? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. What's the difference? The difference is Paul, when he goes to Corinth, he doesn't settle for just a message, but he, but he settles for nothing less than a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that leads him to, by the time he gets to, uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, to conclude that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of power, but of power. You see, Acts chapter 17, when Paul shows up in Athens, he's disturbed because the city is full of idols. And what I want to tell you this morning is, a, a city that's, that's locked in idolatry, not unlike our own, any city in America, not unlike any city in the world, any city that's locked in idolatry, the answer and the solution isn't more talking. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's the only solution. That's the only solution. And so one of the things I want to do this morning is I just really want to prick our hearts and I want us to become convinced that it's the only solution and committed to the fact that it's the only solution. I want you to remember uh, another society that was full of idols and demonic worship. And we've already talked about it. It's the, it's the way we opened up this kingdom series. In Exodus, God says, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to bring my people out. See, it wasn't talk that convinced Pharaoh. It was the power of God moving on his people. See, see, idols don't bow down to talk. Idols don't release. Demons don't release because you have a good talk. People don't believe because your message is convincing. See, here's the problem with that sort of mindset. The problem is this. Anything you can talk a person into is something they can be talked out of. And so, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. And so, Vineyard, I just, more than ever, it's, it's been kind of in our DNA from the beginning, but more than ever, we have to be committed to demonstrations of the Spirit's power. While we were at Bethel this week, um, um, one of the last meetings we were at, well, it was like the second night, Bill spoke, and at the end of his message, uh, there was just a grace from the Lord to heal. Now, you realize the room is full of pastors. It's 850 pastors and their staffs. You know, it's just, you know, it's people who do kingdom work. And um, Bill just calls out a couple words of knowledge. He says, you know, I just feel like somebody, I feel like somebody's got a hurt ankle on their, on their left side. And, you know, and I think you're sitting over here. You know, he does one of those kinds of deals. And sure enough, the guy stands up and, you know, Bill says, you know, just two or three people around him, lay hands on him and tell the pain to leave. So they did that, and then Bill has the guy, come on, he says, come on up front, and, you know, how are you doing? So the guy begins to walk, and he gets up front, and, you know, no, because we're seating, and it's a big room, and there's 850 people, you can't see his feet, you know, everybody's aware of that. So we can't see his feet, so he comes up to the front, and he's got this ginormous, like, boot on, like one of those walking boots, like when you really hurt your foot, you know? Bill says, well, why don't you just take that off and test it out? Guy takes it off. Bill says, well, you know, test it out. God tested out. He's absolutely healed. Not only that, but he starts running laps around the church. <laughs> so dude comes in with a giant boot on his leg and you know, he leaves running around the church. And there's just something about demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know, you can stand up all day long and say God is good and then, or you can just get an ankle or two healed and 
point to it and say, you know, man, God's really good. It's really, it's best for you. The kingdom of heaven is really best for you. Some other guys who were there, and this one really blew me up. Um, another guy had 12 tumors dissolve off of his body in one night, and they weren't malignant tumors. They were, they were tumors that don't hurt you. The doctors told him, ah, don't worry about it. They were, they were strictly cosmetic. And they were all along his abdomen here. He'd had them for years. What does that tell you about the nature of God? He's really good. You know, you know God is so good that he would heal tumors that are strictly cosmetic. Can I tell you something about the Lord? This is how good the Lord is. The Lord is so good that if it matters to you, it matters to him. That's how good the Lord is. And so there's just something about a demonstration of the Spirit's power among his people. So much more effective than talk. You might be asking, why are you talking so much? <laughs> We're getting there. So church, we've got to pursue power. We've got to pursue a life of proclamation and demonstration. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, this is what Luke writes in his second gospel. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, doing and teaching go together. It's not that we forsake one, it's that we... They're partners. Truth and power are best friends. Now I want to talk to you just for a second about the implications of a powerless gospel. The implications of a powerless gospel. Even just from the scriptures, uh, if you go back and especially if you read the first four chapters of, of Corinthians, these are just some of the implications of a powerless gospel. Division. The very first thing that Paul begins to address in 1 Corinthians is division in the church. People are beginning to say, you know, I follow Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. And then like the really super spiritual ones are saying, I follow Jesus. You know, those guys, you know, those people just want to smack those people, don't you? It's like, no, I follow Jesus. Don't we all? But there's divisions in the church. And so it's part of the implications. Contextually speaking, it's part of the implications of a powerless church. A powerless church is a church that's more open to division. We'll get more into that in just a second. See, the church in Corinth was being tempted by earthly wisdom, and divisions were, being, were emerging based upon personalities. See, here's the deal. When power is gone, all you're left with is personalities, and the strongest and best personalities win. And then everyone in the room is forced to choose who they like the best. There's something about power that brings the fear of God, and it unifies. Implications of a powerless church. Division and argument. Another, another implication of a powerless church is pride and arrogance. Uh, look in chapter 4. We'll start in verse 18. This is what Paul writes. He says, Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. There's something about a church that's divorced from power that gives rise, to, gives rise to arrogance and pride. And here's the deal. See, when Paul says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to find out what power these arrogant men have, he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about Christians in the church. And, and one of the things I want us to see is that even biblical knowledge, divorced from demonstrations of biblical knowledge, can, uh, gives its soil that pride and arrogance grow in. And, um, and if, you don't think, if you don't believe me, just think about the Pharisees. These are the, these are the men, the scribes and the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures better than anyone. They knew every prophecy about Jesus. Some of them had most of the Old Testament memorized by heart. They knew all the prophecies about coming Messiah. Coming Messiah standing in front of them, in front of them and because of arrogance and pride, because of, because of having an intellectual concept of the kingdom, divorced from an experience and encounter of the power, they miss it. Uh, in the church, the number one thing that will give rise to arrogance is a lack of power because we're left with personalities. Here's another implication of the powerless gospel. The powerless gospel is suited only for the brilliant. A powerless gospel is suited only for the bread. I'm going to read this to you because I can't, I can't say it any better than I wrote it. When power is removed from the gospel, when freedom is merely conceptual, a promise 
A promise is for someone else or a, pom- a promise is placed in future glory. Then inferior gospels emerge and compete on the basis of human wisdom and human brilliance and the winner comes from the presenter with the best argument and the most well-received preaching style rather than the proof of power. You see, when, when, when power is, is, evacuates the building, what we're left with is a gospel that's best suited for the brilliant. And, and, and the bad news on that is, is I'm not very smart. And so I get left out. When, when power is divorced from the gospel, we're left with human personalities and inferior gospels emerge and they compete on the basis of human wisdom and human brilliance. And the winner comes from the presenter with the best argument, the most well-received preaching style, rather than the proof of power. And then the final implication of a powerless church or a powerless gospel is this. It's what I call the lowest common denominator gospel. Now this one plagues our community. It's the lowest common denominator gospel. This is what the lowest common denominator gospel is. It's the gospel where, it's the gospel where mystery and power and encounter are exchanged for cliché. You live, in for, you live in Kentucky for a while, and what you're going to find is the gospel is, has been reduced to the lowest common denominator, and mystery, power, and encounter are exchanged for cliché. In fact, if you become a person who has an encounter, if you become a person who walks with God, and because of that, you walk in mystery. Here's the thing. If you walk with God, there'll be an element of mystery to your life. And if you become a person who encounters God, if you become a person who walks with God, if you become a person who, who encounters the mysterious that is the God of all glory. And some of us may think, well, Adam, you, well, how can God be mysterious? I want to tell you, if God's not mysterious, you're not worshiping God. So if, the, if there's not a mystery, if there's not some element of mystery, if you become the kind of person who encounters Him, if you become the kind of person who lives in mystery, if there becomes divine tension in your life, if there's, if there's an internal reality that's beyond what you're able to explain, if you can't turn it into a cheap cliche, then opposition will come to you. And it's all over the South, especially here in Kentucky, and it's just all over the South. And, it's, and the reason is because we've exchanged power for talk. We want the one-liner that everyone can take home. You know, we want the one, you know, we're a culture of sound bites. And so I just want to tell us, church, you know, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And we have to exchange cheap cliches for mystery and encounter and experience with God. And so let's just, you know, take five seconds here and let's just run the spiritual barometer. Is there mystery in my life? Is there divine paradox? Is there divine tension in my life? Do I have a reality on the inside that I can't formally communicate to everyone around me very well? Is there something that I could tell people that would make them raise an eyebrow? If there's not, there's something wrong. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Those are some implications of a powerless gospel. In light of that, I want to tell everybody in the room, it's really good to pursue power. It's really a good thing to pursue power. In fact, truth and power, they're best friends. They go together. Jesus did and Jesus taught. Jesus never spoke without doing. At least that was never his intention. Furthermore, Jesus' disciples did exactly what Jesus did. So Jesus gets best friends, Jesus teaches, and he does. Then he looks at his best friends and he says, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. It's doing and, te- and, it's doing and teaching all at the same time. Not only that, this is where it gets really complicated in a good sort of way, especially if we want to hold on to our powerless gospel. It wasn't just that Jesus did and taught, and it wasn't just that Jesus' disciples did and taught, but it was that Jesus, the disciples of Jesus' disciples did and taught. And that's what fries my brains. By the time you get to Acts chapter 9, you have a guy named Ananias. And Ananias is just, the only descriptor to him is that he's a disciple, which just means he's a student. Acts chapter 9, Ananias. This is the good one. This is not the guy who tries to steal from the church. And, and Ananias, a student, He's just a student. He's just, like, he's just like anybody sitting in here in the purple chairs. He's the guy that the Lord speaks to with unbelievable words of knowledge. The Apostle Paul comes to him 
And at the time, it's not Paul, it's Saul. And Saul's wanting to kill all the church. And God uses a disciple, a, a mere student, from one of the churches to minister healing, deliverance, salvation, and the baptism of the Spirit to the man who would take gospel to the, Rome, to the Romans. I and mean, that's a staggering thought, isn't it? So it's not just that Jesus does and teaches. It's not just that His disciples do and teach. It's that the disciples of the disciples do and teach. And so I've, I've gone through all that to say this, that it's possible. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to be satisfied with a, with a powerless expression of Christianity. You know, Jesus, Jesus isn't a cruel taskmaster. He wouldn't command disciples everywhere to do as I have done. He, he wouldn't command his disciples to preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, if he, wasn't, if he wasn't going to back you up and give you the grace to do it. You see, a command never comes without grace to do it. So it's good to pursue power. Not only that, but the pursuit of power actually enables us to live humbly. The pursuit of power actually enables us to live humbly. Here's what I mean by that. On the day that you decide that you're going to trade powerless Christianity for a demonstration of Jesus' superiority, on the, day, on the day that you decide that, your faith becomes activated. And John Wimber, John Wimber used to spell faith like this. He says faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And there's something about faith that's just super risky. And so on the day that you decide to give up a powerless gospel and then move into a demonstration of the Spirit's power is the day that you moved into risk. On the day that you move into risk, you become acutely aware that you need the Lord. <laughs> the people who are laughing are the people who know what I'm talking about. You become acutely aware that you need the Lord. Uh, you know, when you've got somebody sitting in front of you and they're going to die of cancer in just a few weeks and you're going to pray for them? You know, maybe you didn't have the awareness 10 seconds ago, but when you're looking into eyes who know they're going to die very soon and they're not ready to go, it comes all over you. And it's the awareness that I need the Lord. It causes us to walk humbly. It will actually cause us to not trust in ourselves. You know, when you, when you encounter someone who has a demonic spirit, somebody in the room might be thinking, well, you know, Christians don't have demons. Those are all they're made up fairy tales. People who believe that are people who have never encountered a demon. But when you, when, you're, when you have somebody in front of you who has a demonic spirit that's ruling their life, and you're telling the spirit to go, you become acutely aware that you need the Lord. Not even them. You know, not even the other person, you know, they kind of already understand that they need the Lord. But just as a minister, someone who, who, who won't stand for a powerless gospel, someone who's wanting to push into the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk, but of power. At that point, when someone is standing in front of you with a demon who wants to be free, you become acutely aware that you need the Lord. Because here's what's going to happen. Either they're going to get free or they're not. Either they're going to get free or they're going to go home tormented. And I want to tell you guys something. I've sent people home tormented, and it's awful. I'm just being really transparent with you this morning. I don't have this super overcoming message to tell you about. I mean, sometimes we pray for the sick, and they get healed. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes we pray for people who are demonized, and there's freedom. And sometimes they go home tormented, and it's awful. And in both cases, I become acutely aware that I need the Lord. Pursuing power is actually one of the gateways into true biblical humility. See, true biblical humility is realizing that everything that I do requires the empowering presence of the Spirit. You see, Jesus said this. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, everything of significance comes through partnership with Jesus. And it's that awareness that's biblical humility. You know, the, the, the poor me, you know, I'm just a miserable sinner saved by grace. That's really not humility. That's, that's false humility. And the Lord despises that, and, and it, it will keep you out of destiny, and it will keep people around you locked in oppression. I would like to point out that through the Scriptures, that anytime someone gets liberated, they become a liberator. You know, Moses gets liberated from Egypt, and then what happens? The Lord turns him around and sends him back. 
So the areas that you gain freedom in in your life are areas that you're called to go and make, make free for other people. You know, here's, the, here's another thing. You know, any, any, any gospel that doesn't make the world's problems my problems is from the devil. We need power. So how? Well, the how is, it, it, it's, it's just really simple. It's just, you go out and you do it and you're going to fail and you're going to succeed and Jesus is going to be there and humility is going to come into your life like never before. Your reputation will go right out the window. But the presence of the Lord will be with you. Jesus, he doesn't command us to do things he won't give us grace to do. That's part of the how. One more note on pursuit, just within the context of 1 Corinthians. I find this pretty funny. See, uh, the, the Corinthian church kind of gets a bad rap, you know. They're really, you know, they're, they're the bad people. You know, in their church, they had sexual immorality. No joke, I'm not kidding. They had people who had sex outside of marriage in their, in their, in their church. I mean, not like here, but, but in Corinth, they had people who, had that, who, who were having sex outside of the, the holy bonds of marriage. I mean, that would never go on here, but it actually happened there. And all, also in Corinth, they had, uh, they had, people were like suing each other. I mean, I know. It's hard to believe. It, I mean, it doesn't happen here, but lawsuits were going on in Corinth. And, and there, were, there was divisions, and people were like, there was favoritism at Corinth. You know, thank the Lord it's not here, right? Yeah, so, so, so Corinth kind of gets a bad rap. So... This is one last little note about pursuit, and then we'll, we'll tidy up and we'll do some stuff here. But, um, so there's this, this really bad church where, you know, there's divisions and where people are having sex outside of marriage, you know, just really horrible stuff. And then there's lawsuits. So there's this church. But within that context, Paul says some really remarkable things, one of them being what we just heard this morning, that the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of talk but of power. Then he also says in chapter 14, he says, hey, guys, I want you to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And um, it, it's really noteworthy because one of the solutions toward immorality, one of the solutions toward lukewarm living, one of, the, one of the solutions toward divisions and sexual immorality and lawsuits and argument and arrogance, the solution is to not shelf spiritual gifts or pursuit of power. The solution is to invigorate ourselves toward power and spiritual gifts. You know, Ray and I, we've talked about it several times over the years. You know, if he or I had been the Apostle Paul in that situation, we would have just said, cool it, guys. No more spiritual gifts. No more pursuit of anything. In fact, don't even meet till I get there. But he tells them the exact opposite. And it's, and it's not just any command. It's an apostolic command, and there's wisdom inside of it. So it's, I really want to tell you guys, we, we have to be convinced that power is the answer. We can't just be a people of talk. We have to be a people of power as well. And it's the pursuit of power that actually, that actually works against our base nature. There, there's an element where our base nature gets subdued in just pursuing the Lord to, for breakthrough. Amen? All right, I think I've said quite enough. I want to do a couple things this morning. If you're on the ministry team, come on up.